Welcome to the Heart for the World Church Sermon Podcast. It is our desire that you will be greatly encouraged as Pastor Dale Walker and others bring a fresh word from God directly to your heart. Be blessed. We'd love for you to look if you'd like to see a sermon outline. We are continuing a series we started called Weird. And, and the idea of this is that God has a better normal. In fact, if you look around the world, how many would agree the normal in this world's not working? And God wants there to be something new. And, and that new will obviously put you out of step with your culture. It'll, it'll cause you to stand out. I kind of joked with someone, said, well, they think you're weird anyway. Might as well be a God kind of weird, amen? But what we want to talk about probably more than any subject when someone really lives God's kind of way, the world will look and think, whoa. And that is what we're talking about today on this Valentine's, God's weird plan for love, sex, and romance. Now, what I want to say from the very beginning, Hollywood did not invent love, sex, and romance. God did. It was God's idea. And he said, it's very good. God has, though, his own plan. And in fact, I tell people, did you know there's a whole book in the Bible called the Song of Solomon that's all about husband and wife in this ecstasy of romantic love and, whoa, it's steamy and hot. And uh, I was gonna talk about it, but my wife made me promise, Dale, don't, whatever you do today, don't embarrass me, so we, we won't do that. I do want you to know that if you'll go to the Love After Marriage Conference, wow, it's, you're going to hear all about that. But what, what is so important to hear today is that God has this incredible desire to bless our lives, to not have us miss out on one good thing. But his way is so different than the world. You know, the world today is looking for love, but so often it settles for lust. The world today thinks they know. I mean, there's been a sexual revolution, and yet you would think, boy, people are filled with love today. No, people are more lonely than they've ever been. Because you see, when love is sought that's different than God's way, it doesn't bring intimacy. It brings loneliness. It brings emptiness. It brings shame. It brings sorrow. It hurts family. But God is a God of incredible plans, including a plan for romance, love, and sex. And we want to talk about that today. And the encouraging thing you see is that it's completely different. In fact, God has his own word for his kind of true love. It's called agape in the Bible. It's, it's the opposite of, of another kind of word, which is eros, which means you know self-centered, me-focused love. And it's, a, and it's a love that doesn't depend on outer attraction, but it's all built on inner commitment, a willing to give ourselves. It's a love that doesn't seek personal satisfaction first. It seeks sacrifice, and it seeks sanctification. In fact, there's two verses that really share what kind of this love is like, and I want you just to see it. It's in, uh, in 1 John 3.16, if we could look at that verse, and then also 1 John 4.10. Read this with me. We know what real love is. Come on, you say real love. <laughs> because Jesus gave up his life for us. So also, we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. 
And then 1 John 4.10 says it this way. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. You know what? What are we seeing about love? Love isn't what you feel. In fact, you know, this kind of love you usually give sometimes when you feel like it the least. <laughs> you die to yourself so that you can live and God can redeem it. It's a kind of love, I said in your notes, that creates lasting families, safe homes with no secrets or skeletons, where dads stay around, where boundaries are built to keep the flames of love burning and safe from all of the enemy's efforts to contaminate and spoil what God created as pure and safe and beautiful. It's such a radical love that it's challenged to give itself to protect the fires of sex and romance, to exclusively be one person and be faithful to an entire lifetime, starting even before we meet them, because it desires to live exclusively for God's glory and purpose to build another life. That's a, a, an incredibly weird thought to the world today. I did this last week, and I thought maybe it would help us when I talk about the kind of weird we're talking about today. Let me just give you a couple of, uh, of examples of, of case studies of people I know. I changed their names, but this, these are people who decided to go a different way with love than the world taught them. Maria is a beautiful, amazing, single Christian girl who's got the eye of many would-be suitors, but she made this radical choice. In fact, when she was a young woman, she and her parents went to a Christian service and she took on a purity ring to say that she's gonna stand before the Lord pure and keep herself to marriage. Though she's influenced in a lot of ways by friends, she has kept faithful to that vow. Bob is a Christian businessman who didn't come to know the Lord till later and had some real sexual brokenness in his past. So he committed to living a life of sexual integrity, but realized he needed some help. So he joined one of the men's accountability groups where he gets prayer and support. Recently, he was telling them he was about to go on a business trip, and he asked for prayer. He said, sometimes when I'm alone in hotels, I'm tempted to watch things on TV that I shouldn't watch. And it's my heart to be completely pure of mind. Would you pray for me? How many know to most people, that's weird. <laughs> Scott and Deborah are single Christians who met at a young adult fellowship. They eventually realized they had an attraction to each other. But instead of just going the way of dating they had seen around them, they said, God, you have a better way. You know, the world's way of dating is body, soul, and maybe spirit, but God's way is spirit. <laughs> soul and save the body for marriage so they asked for for help the pastor they decided to be friends and said we want to relate in a way that no one's heart can get broken even if we decide we're not the ones for each other God so honored that they were married a couple of years ago and they have an incredible marriage and already two children and they are so glad they did it God's way Brian Jarrett was a young man who experienced the worst kind of sexual brokenness. His father disappeared when he was young. Without the protection of a father's presence, uh, he became a victim of repeated sexual abuse from an extended family member that did this for many years. And he lived in incredible bondage and pain. 
until one day he met Christ. And he began to go to a Christian counselor and began to bring to light the hurt, the pain, and experienced the presence of God to restore him. He said, as he begins to tell others, he even began to tell others what was going on and what had happened to him. He said, I found out that rodents and roaches hide in the dark, but when the light comes on, they go find a place to hide. When I came into the light, I was healed. In fact, I knew God not only wanted to heal me, he wanted to redeem my past, and he began a ministry called Lonesome Dove Ranch where he helps uh, foster kids who've been sexually exploited. They come to a camp, and he and his wife now are able to help them be restored and healed. God took, he said, what was the worst thing that happened. He redeemed it, and it's become my purpose. And through the brokenness in God restoring me, what was meant to be evil has now blessed thousands of kids. Hallelujah. That's different, isn't it? Let me just give you one more story. It's actually a testimony, Robert and Amanda. And uh, this is a very good one. So I just, I thank them for giving this testimony and I wanted to show it to you. Robert Martinez. Amanda Martinez. And we just kind of wanted to let you guys know what our pre-marriage testimony was. Yeah, just a little background information. Uh, before pre-marriage, we were together nine years. Uh, we started living together really young. We had our son really young and... We had another son, so nine years of living together in a relationship. There was a lot of built-up unforgiveness. And so going to pre-marriage class, we realized that we wanted a strong relationship, but we wanted God at the center. Because we were growing our relationship with God, we realized that we didn't have Him in our relationship. Um, early after the first class, because it's so good, that we decided to abstain. And this decision was a statement to God that we wanted to start fresh, we wanted to start new. Yeah, so just kind of like, as we were growing individually, we were creating, God was creating us a new mind. And so at the same time, he was creating us a new relationship. And being able to surrender everything to him and what he's been able to do for us, we can see all the blessings that were raining on us. Mm -hmm. so. And you know, funny story too, uh, living together those nine years we have our kids they know us as mom and dad um our seven-year-old one day he came to me and he's like mom you're not part of the family and i was like what do you mean i'm your mother and he's like well you don't have the same last name as us and so that was convicting and i think god was using that moment to convict our hearts because we wanted uh we wanted our kids to to know us as mom and dad but we also wanted them to grow up with a strong marriage a strong um example and so you know we follow a god of grace and he just wanted to lovingly let us know and convict us that we were still living unmarried but he wanted to redeem that like he wants to redeem all parts of our lives as individuals and as a union Yes, and, and no matter how much of uh, God having grace on us, we still knew that if we were to continue the path that we were on, mm -hmm. you know, our foundation where we built our home wouldn't last. It would be built on sand. Mm -hmm. And now with going through the pre-marriage class, being able to grow closer to God, we were now able to build our foundation, our home on solid rock. Mm -hmm. And it would to last. Yeah. So if any storm or anything were to wash us away, we have that God in the center of our entire relationship holding us together as one.
Man, isn't that amazing? They had a beautiful real wedding. But the world would say, that's weird. That's not how it happened in our family. And yet God says, look, I know what love is. (laughs) I invented it. I understand that when love is self-directed, it's contaminated. What was meant to be the blessing begins to actually bring the opposite, the hurt, the loneliness. Real love is this most unselfish act. The world looks for it. But as I said, the world finds a substitute. The world's substitute is often self-centered, lust, which is what? Directed towards themselves and ends up in brokenness. I like what C.S. Lewis described lust as. He says, lust is impersonal. Unless you're willing to make a complete personal commitment, then you really don't want that person. You want an experience, and that person is a necessary commodity And you're dehumanizing that person uh, to get something you want. What's so amazing about love and true love is that it's actually rooted in self-denial. I was reading in 1 Corinthians 13, many of you know the love chapter. You remember all love is, love is. You know what, what stood out to me this week is the very first thing love is. It says love suffers long. Now that doesn't sound too sexy. Love suffers long. You know what that word literally means? Love delays gratification. Love is willing to give up what I want now to give God what he wants in that other person's life. A total commitment. A blessing that is so exclusively them. They will never have to fear. They will never have to wonder where trust will be. I wanted to put there in your notes just some reasons why this is so important. Number one, the normal we see around us isn't working. (laughs) It is allowing Satan to get footholds in our marriages, our lives. I I was very young. You know, I came to age in what they call the sexual revolution. (laughs) And basically the sexual revolution, the 60s, 70s, it was the idea of destigmatizing non-marital sex. In other words, Don't be all traditional about sexism or marriage, you know. Be free, free love. But thank God, you know, at the same time there was a sexual revolution, there was the Jesus revolution, and I got to be a part of that. But you see the unfolding. I mean, it's weird to go back. Did you know back, you just think of TV, the days of I Love Lucy. You know, there was a controversy because they weren't allowed to even say the word pregnant on TV back then. Anyhow, we won't go there how far we've come. But the point was, this is freedom. Freedom is is you get to to choose what your sexual identity, your plan, but look where it's brought us. Just, Just look at our society today. The unintended consequences. Just take pornography, for example. Uh, 24 million pornographic websites. 43% of Americans look at porn. Uh, The average age... The generation, people start watching porn eight years old. Can you imagine these little brains? Um, you know, the, the target of pornographers is, is 13 to 17 years old. <laughs> to immerse into a, a worldview that utterly creates distortion. 
And you see the, the, the outcome. You know, you see, they say today, 43% of 40-year-old American men who are married will commit adultery. And, and, and 45, 65% of men and 45% of women will commit adultery. And, and what are the unintended results? Look at our culture. You see it, abortion. You see fathers that abandoned because it was never really a command. You see uh, women objectified. You see predators just having a heyday because of the, the view of sex. You see just shame and guilt, addiction, and just the brokenness. It's not working, and it's not producing love. And in the middle of all of that, God says, I have a radical different way. It's called extreme love. It's called radical purity. It's, it's, it's to give yourself in the most sacrificial way. And this is so huge because I put here, moral decisions are destiny decisions. <laughs> it's not just about you. It's about a family. It's about a legacy. Literally, what we see in homes today is a narrative that comes out of sexual brokenness. And people don't know who they are and, and, and the vulnerabilities because there was never the safety and the integrity of hearts fully committed in the union that God intended and planned. And God's desire is this. I put it this way. Radical confusion requires a commitment to radical purity. Only radical purity can overcome radical impurity, right? Hey, have you noticed something? Have you noticed it doesn't work to be sort of pure? Have you ever heard someone say, well, God, I want to be sort of pure. I want to be pure except when I don't want to be pure. <laughs> How many know sort of pure ends up slimy <laughs> and unpure? Are you guys okay out there? You look real holy and I'm kind of nervous, but that's all right. But Jesus, when he came, because he loves us so much, he was the most radical person. <laughs> Look at this, Matthew 5, 27 through 29. Just incredible what he said. You have heard the, the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out. <laughs> And throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown in hell. Somebody say, ouch, whoa. What is he saying, really? He's not telling us to come and start amputating things. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, do you understand that for your well-being and for the generation and for the family God has ordained, it is worth the most radical kinds of decisions to live God's way because the implications are huge. You know what I found on the other side? When people choose those secret victories, things that other people don't know about, they get blessed in outer blessings. I just, a testimony of a friend and, and you know, he lived a broken sexual life and, and he lost his marriage, his wife separated, and, and he went through this long season. 
And he finally said, I don't know what's going to happen to my marriage, but I've got to deal with my heart. I'm a mess. I got all this garbage and purity. He went through a, a program of, of sexual deliverance and say, God, all I care about is I just want to be a pure man. And after months, God just began to, he began to just be broken and God began to do some. And, and just recently, out of the blue, hadn't heard from his estranged wife for so long, she called him and said, could we talk again? Suddenly, God started to bless. Just because of an inward choice, there became an outward blessing. Amen? Now, how do we begin to experience God's plan for love, sex, and marriage? Well, what did Jesus say? It starts in our heart. True love begins by a way we govern our hearts and our thoughts. I like to say it this way. To avoid growing the wrong tree, you must avoid planting the wrong seed. <laughs> How many know, if you plant the seed of weeds, you're going to get the weeds, and if you plant the trees of purity, but whatever the seeds are, the fruit becomes. And Jesus knows, if you're really going to be pure, the time to be pure is not when you're in the back seat of the car trying to figure out how to stay pure, you know, or when you're at a bar. The time to be pure was in your heart before the first temptation ever came, where you radically choose, God, I'm not gonna go there in my heart. I'm gonna keep my heart pure before you. I'm not gonna linger on this TV show. I'm not gonna start down the road of looking at that on the internet. Nobody else will know, God knows, but more than that, can I tell you something about lust? As much as you want to keep it a secret, lust always has a way of coming out in some way to bring public hurt, shame, and bondage in your life. It doesn't say day hidden. Bible says what's done in secret gets shouted on the mountaintops. Now, here's what he says. Decide to put boundaries in your heart. Did you know that's true love? That I would say, man, my wife is going to the only one. She's going to have my whole heart for my whole life and even my thoughts. She, she's never going to know this, the greatest way I loved her, that I chose to die to myself. But she will certainly feel it. How many know in marriage the partner feels it? They don't even know why they don't trust you or why they do trust you, but it's all about your heart. It begins by guarding your eyes. That's what Jesus says. And this is huge, you know. Sexual sin is not the first look, it's the continued look. It's the dwelling. You knew you should have turned that off. Martin Luther said, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you don't have to let them build a nest in your hair, right? <laughs> it's that decision. It's also a decision of, how many know there's called heart affairs? It's emotional. Wow, did you see how they smiled at me? I like that smile. Now, I'm not going to do anything, but I'm going to drink a little bit of that well. <laughs> 
at least in my emotions. But nothing ever stays in the heart. It always grows beyond that. And God says, if you will choose to deal with this in your thoughts, remember what we said, the key to living a transformed life, Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By changing the way you think. This is where it all is won or it's lost. It means aggressively rejecting lies the world tells you. Here's some examples. If it feels so right, it can't be so wrong. I'm sorry, baby, it can be. <laughs> if you don't go all the way, it can't be sin. Did you know what 1 Thessalonians 4, 6 says? It says, no one should take advantage or defraud another, for the Lord will be the judge of those who do. The word defraud means to arouse a sexual desire in yourself or someone else that you cannot righteously fulfill. You say, well, when, when did I commit sexual sin? We didn't do it all the way. Oh, no, whoa, 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 whoa. When we willfully chose to arouse sexual desire that could not be righteously fulfilled. It's not that big deal. Everybody's doing it. Someone said, well, all sin's the same. No, it's not. Look at this verse in 1 Corinthians 6, 15. You know, the Bible says there's different consequences, and it's not about God's up there with a rod saying, bad, 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 bad. No, he's saying, please, please, please. It says, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should I, a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Everybody say, never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with them. Run from sexual sin. You know, it's so interesting. In many places when it talks about sin, the Bible says resist sin. But whenever it talks about sexual sin, it says flee. It doesn't say, oh, I'm kind of strong. It says put your track shoes on, buddy. We better see Flash running down the street right now, man. It's like, how close can I get to a rattlesnake before I get bit? That's dumb. Get the heck out of there. Be as far away. Create in yourself margins where God can intervene and keep you. I can't even tell you how much your spouse will appreciate that what it'll mean. I can't tell you that you'll be able to tell your son. You'll be able to tell your daughter, hey, I know what you're going through. But I can tell you as honestly, we don't have to have a bunch of sick secrets in this family. And you don't have to worry that there's all this stuff and hush, hush, and you better not ever tell. And who's that woman? And what is that? You don't have to have any of that junk in your life. You can say, son, I've been there. I felt what you're feeling. Hey, can we partner together, man? You can talk to me about this anytime. Can I tell you what your mom feels because she knows she's safe? Can I tell you what your wife's gonna feel? Can I tell you, daughter, how much honor it's gonna be? I know he says, if you love me, you will, but if he, he loves you, you won't. 
I, I know what your friends are doing, and I know what you feel. But God loves you. He wants everything for you. It's so interesting, this verse. It says, whoever sins in this way, sins against their body. Literally, the word in the Greek is sarx. It means you sin against yourself. You break the image of God in yourself. You break the ability to see and look at yourself in a way that's fully honorable, respectful. And more than that, it says when you join to that person, you partner with all of their sexual brokenness. <laughs> Whatever's been going on in their life, guess what? You just won the lottery of pain. <laughs> you get to have that going on inside of you the demonic spirit, all of that, until Jesus comes and he heals you. And that's what's so huge. One of the worst lies is if you've ever sinned in that way, you know, God is, hates you and, and, and you're, you're damaged, and, and yet the truth is God is not the one. I know religion has painted God as this, just this really moral, but angry, you know, oh, yeah, dirty, dirty. But he is the most, he, that's the voice of Satan. He's the accuser, right? God says, I know what I want for you. I want to free you. In fact, if you will ask forgiveness, I will cleanse you. What I love about Jesus all through the Bible is he was the champion of the sexually broken, they didn't run from Jesus and hide. He came and welcomed them. The sinners and the prostitutes and the adulterers. He said, there's a better way and I can help you. And a woman caught in adultery, remember, they throw her at her feet and they get these stones and the Old Testament says we should stone her. What do you say? And, you know, and Jesus just sort of writes in the sand. Someone said maybe he was writing the names of all the people they had had affairs with. I don't know. But he's just there. And then he looks up and he says, who is without sin? See, because Jesus knows this area has touched all of us. It's just not anybody who's perfectly pure. They all just sort of leave. Jesus looks at this, this woman. Where are your accusers? I don't have any. See, there was only one person that could have accused because there's only one perfectly pure person that's ever lived, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he looks at her and he says, so then, neither do I condemn you. Go and be free. Be free. The Bible says that, I love this in, in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 11. It says, this is what some of you were, and it lists like every terrible thing. Thieves, and you know, you were, it goes on, man. Every kind of sexual mess up and hatred and murder. And he says, he says, man, this is what some of you were. But he says, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit. Of our God. Did you know when Jesus forgives you, he makes you holy? Anybody forgiven here? Just, okay, now you need to say it. I'm holy. <laughs> I'm holy. <laughs> I'm holy. You just met Holy Dale. Woo! 
That's, you need to change your name. Because it's not what you are, it's what he makes you. When his blood comes, Jesus doesn't come to rub it in. He comes to rub it out. He comes to cleanse and even change that inner scar of your heart. I remember baptizing a lady, and she told me her testimony. She says, she says I can't even tell you, you know, my background, the affairs, the, the, the disaster. But Christ has come into my life. And I remember just saying to God before I got baptized, I don't even know if I can get baptized. I am so, I am so messed up. And she was reading in the Bible in Acts chapter 10, and, and she found this verse. It was so beautiful. And, and God just spoke it to her. He said, those who I call clean, let no man call unclean. She said, the Lord told her, don't you ever dare to let yourself be called unclean. Because I've washed you. I've healed you. Even what I tell people, I know physically that adultery is so serious that it's legal grounds for, for a divorce. But I have seen even that. I've told something, yes, it's legal grounds for divorce, but it could also be legal grounds for forgiveness, for redemption, for healing, for something new. Because the moment God comes into darkness, he can heal. And he not only heals, if I were to say anything about this message, he sets us free. Because what we're talking about is freedom. Complete freedom. And the power of the cross, it not only breaks the sinfulness, it breaks the power. See, grace is the most beautiful word in the Bible to me. Because it doesn't just mean Free forgiveness, it means the power to do what you could never do and be what you could never be. It's the power to overcome. In one verse it says, grace teaches us how to say no. Grace gives us an ability we don't even have. In fact, the Bible says when Christ comes into us, he doesn't just say, okay, you got a second chance. He says, no, the old you is dead. That person isn't even you anymore. Through the power of the cross, you can just walk completely as a perfectly new, complete human being. I said, well, what does it mean to be dead? I don't feel dead to it. I still get, ah, all kinds of battles. And I remember one day I was walking down the street and I was thinking about that. What does it mean that I'm crucified with Christ? I'm dead. And all of a sudden I walk by and there's this German shepherd comes roaring, roar, I thought I'm gonna die. But I turn and I look and there's a, a fence and stops the German shepherd. And it was like the Lord said, that's what it means to be dead, just like you're dead. To, doesn't mean the German shepherd is dead to you. But it means you don't have to open the gate and go in to him. There's now something between you and Satan and it's the cross of Jesus Christ. And it has power to keep you pure. Let me just say one other thing about grace. That grace is not only comes to us by asking God forgiveness. Grace comes to us from other Christians who help us. If I could just say one thing about, about living a, a life 
I, I guarantee you no one lives a life that God wants you to live in all the purity without the help of faithful friends. How I many you know we all need somebody in our boat? We need, we need some friends because the stream that we're, that we're rowing against is more powerful than us alone. When you have a, a Christian brother or sister, a trusted friend that you can say anything and you can tell them, and I could just tell you the stories when, when I was on the verge of, you know, I never would have been where I am today. But there was a brother in my boat that just said, Dale, come on, what's going on? Oh, man, I, I just, I'm just embarrassed to tell you. I know. But how many know Satan only has as much power as your secrets? Once he, you lose your secrets, he loses his power. And you begin to say, well, this is what's going on. And I can tell you, I remember a day I'm sitting there and I'm telling him. And, and you know what surprised me the most? I told this brother, man, and I said, oh boy, this is the, this is the bad story of Dale Walker. And you know what he said at the end of it? He said, oh, me too. How many love the words me too? In other words, I know what you felt. And he prayed with me. And the Bible says, if you see a brother or sister overtaken in this area, you know, don't slam them. Come alongside of them. Just be there. Nobody's getting through this thing without some stumbling, but if you're there, they'll get up again. Bible says if we confess our faults to each other, we'll be healed. We won't stay secretly bound and hurt. And how I urge you to become a part of a group. You know, join the, 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 the men's Saturday morning group. Join Life's Healing Choices. We have a ladies group. Join a community that says, me too. You too? Me too. But I'm going to help you. Will you help me? And together we'll overcome Learn to embrace self-denial. You know, this is the most, this is the most non-American way of thinking I could ever teach you. But God says the discipline doesn't seem, doesn't seem pleasant, but he says, I, I need you to understand because culture doesn't tell you this. Resist yourself. Culture says, you have a right to be happy. You've gone through a lot. You deserve it, baby. Come on. You're okay. But the Bible says, if anyone falls after me, if they'll take up their cross. He says, when you do this, you don't understand. It, it's, it's not easy. And, and, and I'm especially, I, I, you know, I, I got this verse in Lamentations 3.27 when I was just young and just, it was such a battle as a single man and all of this. And he says, it's good for you to bear the yoke in your youth. This doesn't feel good, God. <laughs> he says, you don't understand. Every time you go against the grain of your flesh, Christ is being formed in your character. You don't know this. This does not feel good. No one knows what's going on. You're pushing against the flesh. You, you know, whatever it is, cold showers, whatever it is, this is tough. But in the middle, you're becoming a man of God. And what 
What a, a spouse doesn't, you know, what's going to matter is not how good looking he is, but how much of a man of God he is who can say no to his flesh. And he says, after you've done, he says, by the way, discipline weighs pounds, but regret weighs tons. <laughs> Choose discipline because you don't want to carry regret. You don't want to spend your life carrying a thousand pounds behind you and always inside there's a part of you that's not anyone seeing, but it torments you. He says, if you'll pay this price, Christ will be formed in your life. And just finally, freedom comes by choosing to receive God's unconditional love on a daily basis. You know, the ability to walk in true love doesn't come from trying. It comes from receiving a love that's greater than you have. John says we are able to love because we know that we first have been loved. You know, this kind of goes against the grain. I think religion has taught us when we fail or when we bad, you know, the way to get good is hate yourself more. Have you tried that? Oh, you're so disgusting. You're such an idiot. Ah, how many ever got better by hating yourself? You don't get better by hating yourself. You get worse. You should feel more guilty, but you keep doing the same thing because you really only give power to evil by agreeing with the condemnation. That's why the Bible says the law could never make someone clean. So God brought a different way. It's called grace, unconditional love. And what I have learned is that if you ever learn unconditional love, you don't treat people different because I feel guilty, but because it's natural. When you have God's love for people, you're not gonna cheat them. When you feel God's love for someone, you're not gonna hold a grudge. You're not gonna try. When you have God's love for people, you're not gonna wanna objectify a human being and think of them as a lust object, you, you're gonna say, that is so awful. I want the best for that person. I want to honor that person. You're, you're gonna change, not because you're trying to be something different, but because you love. But the only way you love is when you're loved. I tell people, the love of God can never come from you, but it can come through you. When you know and experience in a personal way, not only that God loves you in your head, but how many know he's given you the Holy Spirit? If you really turn to God, the Holy Spirit lets you experience his love in your heart. Look at this verse, Romans 5, 5. I love it. It says, and this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. I wonder how many have had that experience. It's not that you said, oh, I heard a sermon. It's that you're, you're suddenly aware in the most personal, intimate way, Father loves me. I had a very strange experience, but it, maybe it'll help somebody. I'll tell you. This was a number of years ago. And I was watching TV, and I, I think I remember it was Whitney Houston, and she was singing that song, I'll Always Love You. You remember that one? I'll always love you. Okay, I wish I could sing it. 
But I was just watching this on TV, and all of a sudden, it's like I start crying. I said, this is weird. It's like I'm having a spiritual encounter. And it's just like I'm falling apart. I, I literally walk out of the room. I say, God, what's going on? And he assured me it had nothing to do with Whitney Houston. <laughs> he showed me something. He says, every human heart has the same ultimate desire, and that is for his true love. Every human that's ever been born has this deep need to be celebrated, to be treasured, to be wanted, to be thought of by another in such an admirable way that we are their best, we are their beloved, we are their amazing one, we are their superstar, we are their dearest, most wonderful treasure. And from the very youngest of age, we look, like someone said, I looked for love, but I settled for lust. Because the world just can't fill that. Even when we're married, even when we have a great person in our life, they still can't convince us that we're treasure. Even if they say it a million times, they say, you're awesome, and we say, you're not telling me the truth. Because a human cannot change the hole that's in every human heart. But God can. And that day after I heard her, I, I felt like I heard God say, Dale, you know what's happening to you? Dale, I'm singing that song to you. I'll always love you. In fact, I sing that song every day to you. Zephaniah 3.17 says God sings over you every day. Songs are like, before I made the stars, I thought of you. I've written a million love. He says, I've written it all in a book. Can't wait to see my book. You are my delight. Every day he sings, you are my treasure. You are my beauty. You are my amazing one. You are my dream come true. Have you ever wondered, why are there billions of songs that are love songs? Why are people always writing songs about romance? Why don't they write songs about carpet? <laughs> Trees, I don't know. Because something in their heart says, I was made to be treasured. And God says through his word, I've always loved you. But then I proved it. I sent my only son. You know, a lot of people will tell you, I would die for you, but Jesus did. Case is closed. I did die for you. I did say, I love you this much. And then that wasn't enough. So he put the Holy Spirit inside of us. And if you will let him every day, you will hear his song. Every day, if you will be filled with his presence, you'll hear it inside of you.
I have always loved you. And when that happens, you won't be able to help it but to live that kind of life. Would you pray with me? I'm going to ask Luke if he would come. Why don't we stand? And just as we close this service, there may be some, I know there is, that just today's the day you really need to come back to God. You need to feel God's love. You need to be sensed that you're forgiven, that he loves you, and that it doesn't matter about your past, that you can be what he always dreamed you could be. And it doesn't come by you making some huge promise, but by you receiving his free gift. Jesus died on a cross and rose again to offer you the unconditional gift of salvation and forgiveness and not just a touch of love, but a lifelong, eternal relationship with the lover of your soul that will fill you. And if everyone else in the world walks out on you, some of you will never know true love, maybe from a human being. But it really is okay because this love will fill the difference in every way that love can. And if that's your heart, just right where you're standing, if you bow your head with me and you'd say, Pastor Dale, I want to just turn to God right now. I just want you to know I'm, I'm looking to God right now and telling him I want to come back to him today and I, I want to receive his forgiveness. Would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. I'm Pray with me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's so awesome. Could we just all pray this prayer? Would that be okay? You online, could you pray this prayer right where you are listening? Just simple prayer that the, that the Bible teaches us to pray, to ask Jesus in. Say, dear Lord Jesus, hear my prayer. I need you. Thank you for loving me, for dying on a cross, rising from the dead. Please forgive me all the ways I substituted you for things in this world. I know that I'm broken. I know that I can't fix myself. Would you help me? Would you be my savior? I accept you now as my Lord and savior to know you, to have you and love you for all eternity. Thank you for this relationship. I let it heal me right now. I let it change me. Holy Spirit, let me feel it in my heart how precious I am. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Heart for the World Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that God's Word has inspired you today in a way that will boost your faith greatly. We want to encourage you to visit our website at hftw.church and follow us on our social media. May God bless you richly.